Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. All right, so let's just jump in here. Um, Have you guys ever looked at your life and had sort of an epiphany about it of, of sort of the worst sort where you were kind of like examining your life and you realized that either the way that you're thinking or the way that you're acting or doing really does not resemble the thinking and the acting that you read about in the scripture. Has that ever happened to you where you were like, oh no, like something is completely off here. I had that experience this week. And the reason this is because um, I, I have felt that the Lord was was um, wanting to speak to us and to minister to us um, in the area of hope. God wants to infuse hope in us, and he wants to stir up hope in us. And so, uh, so I began to examine my own life for hope, uh, and, and then I began to look at, at what biblical hope was. And as I was looking at the quality of biblical hope and the quality of Kevin hope, I realized that they were really, really different. And I had this kind of like an oh crud type of a moment. And I just made myself really, really uncomfortable with it. And I wanted to ask you guys, how is your um, heart? How's your hope doing these days? How you doing? And I, I want you to think about that for a minute because uh, I know that for many of us, Hope has been difficult lately. It's been a tough couple of years, right? And the time just kind of seems to keep on getting longer and longer. And hope has been a challenge. Our hope has been challenged, hasn't it? COVID won't let us alone. Politics exhaust us. Our finances can be tight. We carry stress around with us. And then we bring that stress into our relationships. Things are just constantly changing, like change, change, change. And that's hard. And so I, I don't know about you, but I know that for many of us, our hope quotient is lower, or at least it's being challenged. And I hope that for some of us, we are actually in a, in a season and a place of feeling hopeful and feeling strong. But I know that even for, for those of us that are feeling that way, there is an assault. There is a challenge to our hope these days. And so I wanted to talk about that with you this morning. And, um, and we're going to start with a definition. So the definition of hope, so, th- so that we're all clear, this is according to Wikipedia, Wikipedia says that hope is an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life or in the world at large. Read that again. Hope is an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes with, with, with respect to events and circumstances in one's life or the world at large. And so what I hear Wikipedia saying is, is that optimism is based on us believing that something good is going to happen in our future. Then I kind of go, hmm, is that what hope is, right? In other words, we can only have hope if we expect a positive outcome. Do you guys have a problem with this at all? Anybody else, right? Does this seem a little sketchy? Um, because actually this leads us to a couple of really problematic areas here. Okay. So the first thing for me is, is when I read this definition of hope, it actually feels kind of hopeless to me, right? 
it feels hopeless because this hope is based on the fact that something good is going to happen. In other words, if, if, if your thing, the thing that you're wanting to have happen, if that positive outcome doesn't happen, then you shouldn't have hope. And if the thing that you're hoping for does not come to pass, then you are right to not have hope. That's what this is sort of teaching us, right? So if, if positive outcomes aren't in our future, then our future is hopeless. That's what this teaches us. Does that make sense to you? Secondly, um, there's a, there's another issue and that is that it, like when this thing, when w- according to Wikipedia, if we can only hope on things that we are pretty sure are going to happen and are pretty sure are going to be good for us, you know that the Bible says that that kind of hope is no hope at all, right? A hope that is seen and expected according to scripture is no hope at all, right? Uh, but secondly, the alternative actually brings us to another problem. And the alternative is this. The problem with basing our hope on optimism and basing our hope on some future thing that's going to be good for us is that it actually causes us to become a little bit separated from reality, right? This circumstantial hope, this optimism means that we have to be optimistic regardless of whether or not there's any evidence whatsoever for us to have optimism, Right? Uh, it forces us actually to kind of bury our heads in the sand and to deny what is really happening around us, uh, and to paint over our circumstances like we're kind of putting lipstick on a pig. That's what this is kind of challenging us to do. And so what happens is, is that we end up not actually squaring up and reconciling ourselves to what is really happening in our lives. And so we end up missing the opportunity to grieve. We end up missing the opportunity to seek out comfort. We even end up missing the opportunity to cry out to God. And so somebody might look at us and they might say, man, you're really going through it. I'm really, really sorry that you're going through this. This must be so hard for you. And our response would would be to say, no, it's all good. I'm good. I know it's all going to work out. I'm fine. I'm happy. But the more that we live life, Sort of the more that we've been around the block, the more that we realize that things don't always work out the way that we want them to, do they? Things sometimes go south on us. They go in the wrong direction. There's a a writer named Wendell Berry, and he said, having hope is hard and harder when you get older. Have you noticed that? That the more we're around the block, the more our hope gets challenged. Now, what we could do is we could kind of go, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna declare right now that there will be no more pandemic after this week. I'm gonna declare that our politicians are going to act in, in a godly way with integrity and they're gonna play nicely with their, with each other. I'm gonna declare that there's no more climate change, that hunger will end, that the media will act with complete integrity, being unbiased. I'm going to declare that my kids are going to get into their stretch college on scholarship, right? And that my workplace will become a utopian joy to me. We can declare all of that. But the question is, is what hope is there if some of that doesn't take place? What hope is there for us if none of that takes place? That's the question, right? And that's why the world's definition of hope is completely flawed. And that's why I say nope to that hope. Right? Would you guys say that with me? 
nope to that hope, right? We're rejecting that. Even the Bible specifically calls out things that people try to put their hope in. And we do, we do some of these things. It's like the ancients did it over on the other side of the planet. And we still do it today. The Bible calls that stuff out. And God says, don't trust in those things. Don't put your hope in that stuff because it is transient because it will change and it will fail you. And so the Bible says, for example, don't put your hope in wealth. Don't put your hope in your houses. Don't put your hope in princes or what we would call presidents. Don't put your hope in empires and armies to protect you. Don't even put your hope in the temple because none of those things are strong enough to carry you. None of those things are strong enough to carry your heart and to carry your hope. And so the question is, well, is there any hope then? Is all hope lost? And thank God that there is hope. As a matter of fact, Hope is all over scripture. God has incredible hope for us, but it's not this frail, out-of-touch optimism. The hope that's described in scripture is completely different, you guys. It is a hope that is substantial. It is a hope that is strong, you guys. It is a hope that gets us through even our most difficult experiences. And the, the biblical authors, they describe a hope in the midst of persecution that, I have to be honest, I pray that none of us ever experience. They experience things like we have our hard times and they are truly difficult and they're truly painful and we end up with our own hurts and things like that. But the biblical authors went through some things that I pray and hope that we will never experience and yet they were able to carry hope through all of those things. And so the question is, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between Wikipedia hope, worldly hope, you know, optimism and biblical hope, the hope that God offers us? And the the reality and the point is this, biblical hope always, always, always points us directly to God, to God himself. Biblical hope says everything that God said he will do, he will do, and we can bank on him, and we can bank on it. And I I guess I would just imagine that as I say that, um, you might say, well, of course my hope is in God. And I would just ask you, is it? Is your hope really in God, it's not in your money. It's not. It's not in your job. Your hope isn't in your spouse. Your hope isn't in the fact that your kids are going to be okay. Are you sure that your hope is in God? Or is your hope in finally getting a, a husband or a wife? Is your hope in getting children? Where is your hope, really? That's the question that I want to challenge you guys with. And that was actually some of the work that I had to do with myself. Because when I, when I did a, a hard examination, I realized that I was placing my hope in places that could not sustain it. And that was unbiblical. And so I want to challenge you with it, with that today because God and God alone is, can, can hold it. God is our rock and he will not be moved. And he declares to us, to you and me, that he was and he is and he always will be our hope. And so what biblical hope does is it rips our attention off of those, those lesser things that we think can carry our hope and it fastens our attention and fastens our trust on God alone, on Jesus alone. And the result of that shift, I want to tell you guys, is absolutely cataclysmic. And instead of being fearful, instead of constantly being disappointed in life, instead of being nervous about our futures, we can suddenly become peaceful people who can literally handle anything 
that life throws at us because the one in whom we hope cannot be shaken and he will deliver. And so I was thinking about Paul, the Apostle Paul, and Paul had, uh, I just have to say the best way to put it is he had a hell of a life, right? Paul had a tough, tough, tough life, right? And Paul writes about his absolute lowest point in the book of, in the, in the letter to the Corinthian church, the second letter, and he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He said this, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And here's the turning point. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. How amazing is that? He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. And on him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And this is amazing to me because at the lowest point in his life, when Paul said, I had nothing left, I had no hope to give, I had no strength to give, there was nothing in the tank for me, I was beyond myself, and we have all been at that point. We've all been at the point where we had nothing left in the tank. Paul said, in that moment, all I had left was God. This taught me to turn to God alone, and God gave me hope. He infused my hope. And what Paul says he did is what so many uh, people in the, in the Bible do and what we're called to do, and that is this. What Paul did to gain hope is he looked back at God's faithfulness to him over the course of his life. And because he could look back and he could see all of God's faithfulness, all the ways that God delivered, all the ways that God comforted, all the ways that God strengthened, the ways that when, when God would never abandon him, even when everyone else did, Paul saw that and he said, because I know who God is and because he's been faithful to me in the past, he will be faithful to me in the future. And that is really the crux of it right there. And I don't know if we do that, but we need to do it more often. First Timothy says this, that is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God, the living God who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. And in Romans, Paul goes even further. This is amazing. I love this. He describes God as not just the one who gives hope, right? He goes so much further. And this is what he says in Romans 15. He said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him that so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that behind me? Let's read this together. This is so good. Let's read it together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the God that we love, the God that we serve, the God that we worship on Sunday mornings, the God that we read about in our scripture during the week. He is not just a God who gives hope, but he is the God of hope. In other words, if God is, then there is hope. If God is, then there is hope for you and me. And so true hope is defined by where we put it, who it goes to, who we hope in. And this hope in God is unshakable. And so Paul prayed that we might overflow with hope. And I want to ask you, is your hope currently overflowing? Does your hope overflow? Because if it does not, then you are missing God. 
If your hope is not overflowing in your life, then you are missing who God is. And I, I, I that will be the plumb line for us. And I know that's a, that's a high bar. It's a challenge. But if we are not... If we're not overflowing with hope, then God has more for us, more to give us. And as I was reading about this, as I was digging into it, I found myself longing for this kind of hope, aching for this kind of strength in my own heart and in my own life, right? Do you guys feel that way? So um, here's a here's kind of a question, though. You might be wondering, if I'm saying just put your hope in God, am I saying well, what about the hard circumstances in our life? What about the things that are painful to us? What about the things that are unjust? What about the things that are happening in my life that are not in keeping with God's character or his promises or the kingdom? Are we supposed to just like reconcile ourselves to those things and say, hey, we live in a cruddy world, but God is good? Is that sort of what I'm prescribing for you? And I want to say, I want to address that. And I want to say that there's a huge difference between wanting something to change and putting your hope in that change. Right? There's a big difference between longing for something to be different in your life and putting your hope in that thing to change. And so what we do, church, is we hope in God and we pray and we work for change. We hope in God and we pray and we work for his kingdom to come and his will to be done in our lives and through us and all around us. And so I'll give you an example of this. And uh, Jesus's little brother, James, he wrote this in uh, uh, James chapter five. He said this, is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. In other words, if you are sick, then we are called to pray over them that they might be healed. God said, don't put up with that stuff. Fight against it, right? He called us to raise the dead even. He calls us to live at peace and to work for peace, to be peacemakers with everyone around us insofar as we are able to and they are willing to receive it. So we don't accept uh, disunity. We fight against it, right? We're called to fight against injustice in the world. We're called to feed the poor. We're called to care for the outsider. We're called to tend to the needs of the, the imprisoned and the brokenhearted. In other words, we are called to live in this broken world, but to bring transformation to it. And so we fight and we pray and we contend for his kingdom to come, right? We are humble vessels that are carriers of something magnificent. That's who we are. In other words, we are carriers of the hope of God. We get to bring hope everywhere that we go and everywhere that we show up, everywhere our little feet walk us into a place, hope comes with us because the God of hope fills our hearts and we will have more than enough, right? And so we see this in Jesus's life. We see this in Paul's life. We see this in Daniel's life in the Old Testament, right? But we can also see it in our day. I'm going to share with you guys a story that is going to blow you away. Um, so in one of my previous churches, there's a couple, um, that I knew and I was really, really, uh, close friends with this couple and they're, they're a much older couple. Um, when I knew them, they were probably in their seventies and, uh, these two people were some of the most lovely, kind hearted, compassionate, merciful, gentle, hopeful people I have ever met in my life. And they were so winsome and lovely, this old couple, that I just literally wanted to spend all of my time with them. I mean, they were so wonderful. Every time I was with them, they were encouraging and they were caring and they were loving and they were wise. And, and I actually kind of like 
they, they, they were just so great that I began to spend tons of time with them uh, as often as I could with, you know, kids and a wife and a church and things like that. Um, and one of the things that I admired most about this couple was their marriage. The way that they loved each other, the way that they cared for each other, the way that they kind of honored and protected each other. They always spoke well of one another, but they didn't do it in like that off-putting way. Have you ever been with like somebody that's constantly like praising their spouse? And have you ever been like annoyed about that? Like my husband is so great. I'm like, we're happy for you. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> uh, so that's a little, that's probably going to edit that out. But um, at any rate, this couple, they were so, uh, so lovely towards me and towards each other in particular that I just, I sort of thought this is, this is who I want to be. This is the type of person I want to be in my marriage. They were just so, so wonderful. And to me, in my mind, they were spiritual giants. They were really, you wouldn't know it from looking at them, but for me, they were spiritual giants. And so I really, really love these guys. And so one day we were sitting there at their kitchen table and they said, I want to hear your story, but I want to hear like the, the long version. I want to hear the unedited version. I want you to tell me, just go deep, you know, with me. Let's hear it. And so they began to share their story. And they were telling me about when they first got married and they said something that, that completely shocked me. And the, the husband began to share about how when they were young and married, he, um, he had a drinking problem. And I guess they weren't Christians yet. They weren't, they weren't followers of Jesus. And he was a drinker and his drinking caused all kinds of bad behaviors, uh, in the context of marriage. Like you just sort of, you, you know, I'm not going to say all the different things, but you can use your imagination. And so his behavior was extremely destructive in their young marriage and they didn't have the Lord. And so for the first many years of their marriage, they had an incredibly dysfunctional marriage. They never knew if they were going to make it. They were deeply, deeply uh, wounded by one another. And it was just a really hard thing. But in the context of all of this, uh, they began to have kids, and after you know some period of time, the marriage was still a wreck. But they had ended up with, I believe, they had four kids, and um, and so things were going very, very poorly. And at some point along the line, um, Christ may have entered the picture. I can't remember exactly when, but they were very, very new to faith, if they had any faith at all. And so while things were going so horribly in their marriage, um, one of their kids was killed in a car accident. And this was absolutely devastating to this couple. And it just broke them and it shook them. And uh, and so they were just going through such an incredibly hard time, uh, not just with each other, but with the loss of their child. And then two years later, a second of their children took their life by suicide. They lost two kids. And I don't know how you do that. When they, when they shared this, I just, I just didn't even know how to assimilate this information. And as they were sharing this, what he told me, what they told me is, is that in this process, they felt that they had lost everything and they had nothing. They had nothing left. And they said the only thing that they had was they could turn to Jesus. And so they turned to God in this process. And in the midst of a horrible marriage, in the midst of the loss of the first child, in the midst of the loss of the second child, in came the God of hope. And God ministered to their hearts. He did a miracle. He began to minister to their broken hearts. He ministered to these horrific wounds 
that they carried from childhood, wounds from marriage, wounds from the loss of their first child, wounds from the loss of their second child. And God came in and he began to infuse strength and healing and hope and peace in them. And as they were sharing that, they shared this story with sadness, but they also shared it with peace. And I began to think to myself, how can you not be shattered right now? How can your marriage not be completely obliterated by everything that you go through, that you went through? And they said, God did it all. God changed everything for us. And here before me sat this couple that were, was more lovely and more magnetic and more winsome than me, nearly anyone that I had ever met. And what they told me is, is that God gave them a strength and he formed in them a character that caused everyone around them to want to be around them because they just, they just, uh, imbued Jesus. Jesus was just all over them. And Paul, Paul wrote something similar to this in Romans chapter five. He said this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that's what this couple did. They gave it all to the Lord. And you see, the thing is, is they had no hope in an optimistic future. They didn't have anything else to rely on. There was no getting those children back, right? There was no looking forward to something nice to happen. All they had was God. And when they turned everything over to God, God did a miracle in their lives, right? That's what hope in God can do for you and for me. And so I just want to ask you this morning to replace your hope, right? I want to to invite you to take it off of whatever worldly security that you might be longing for, whatever joy you might put in your circumstances or in your house or your money or a change in your life. None of those things will sustain you, not one. Only God can do that. And I know that letting go of our idols can be scary. I know that it can be challenging because I've already been doing my work in this for a long time. But I want you to know who this God of hope is, right? What would happen if we turned over the reins of our life and the reins of our future to God and we put all our trust in him? Well, here is who we will find. The Bible says that God, first of all, he is always with us. Deuteronomy says this, do not be afraid. This is for you guys. Do not be afraid. Or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you, nor will he abandon you. Don't be afraid or discouraged. He will go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you, nor abandon you. The Bible says that even if our own mothers fail us, God never will. Secondly, the one that we turn to is strong. He is our strength. Psalm 93 says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. In other words, he will carry you in his arms. We sing about that. He'll carry you through every circumstance. Thirdly, when we put our hope in God, what we will discover is that he is utterly faithful. He is utterly faithful to us. Thessalonians says this, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. And I'll give you one more. Second Timothy writes, Paul writes to Timothy, even if we are faithless, he will be faithful. Even if we fail him, even if we turn our back on him, he will never turn his back on us. He will never neglect us. And finally, the word says that he is love. 
When we look for God, we will find love. First John 4 says, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And so no matter what your circumstances, whether the circumstances that are challenging you just came to you or the circumstances that are challenging you or because of your own decisions, no matter what, when you find God, you will find a God who loves you, who is for you. That character is why it's better to put our hope in him than on anything else in the world. And so to put it tritely, we want to reject a no pope of the world and we want to embrace the dope hope of God, right? How cool am I? Right? Andrew, this, is this working? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. All right. Right. We're going to go for the dope hope of God. Now that's, I might be a little too old to pull, actually pull that off. Uh, Isaiah put it much more eloquently when he wrote this, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And so this morning I'm inviting you to examine the location of your hope. And many of you might have the same aha, oh crud moment that I had several days ago. You might discover that, um, You've put your hope in changing circumstances or unchanging circumstances. You may put your hope in what you have in your bank account. You may put your hope in your kids, your jobs. I don't know where, but it can go a lot of places. And this morning, I'm asking you to replace it, to put it squarely on the strong shoulders of God. And so there's there's a couple of things that um, that you could do. First thing I would encourage you to do is I want you to look back at the faithfulness of God over your life. I want you to look back at all of the times and all the ways that God has delivered you through. The ways that he has gotten you to where you needed to be, the ways that he's comforted you and strengthened you, even when things didn't go the way that you wanted them to, the times where you felt peace, the times where maybe someone at church came around you and loved on you and prayed for you or gave you wisdom. Look back at the faithfulness of God and recount that. And declare to yourself that God has always been faithful and he will be faithful again. I don't need to worry. Second thing that I would encourage you to do is to look at his character, to trust in his character. He is the God who is always with you. I will eventually abandon you. Your family will will fail you. Everyone lets us down at one point or another, but God never, ever will. He will always be with you. He is always strong. He's always faithful and he is always love. And so here's the prayer for us. And this is the ending uh, of my sermon, but we're going to actually take some time and we're going to do some ministry. Here's the prayer. And this is a prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. Um, why don't you guys stand up? We have some time, and we're going to allow God to minister to us right now. So just kind of stand up and get your hearts quiet and settled. Um, and we're just going to ask God to, to pour out hope. And I might actually, I'm going to just, um, actually, I'm going to do a little bit of fighting for us, and then we'll we'll, we'll do some things. Um, so the 
Paul writes at the end of um, at the end of Ephesians, he writes that that the stuff that we battle isn't just flesh and blood. It's not just like normal earthly stuff. That there's a spiritual battle that happens, and I believe that that there's been a spiritual assault on our hope. And so we're going to um, do what the Bible teaches us, and we're going to fight against that right now because we have the authority to do that. And so um, if you want to just close your eyes, I'm going to pray, and you pray with me, and you agree with me. Uh, but uh, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and to fill our hearts right now. And um, Lord, we we know and we have felt it, we've experienced it, that there has been a great battle uh, happening around us and a great assault on our hope. And so, Lord, right now, um, we just uh, say no to every power, every principality, every demonic attack on our lives and specifically on our hope, specifically on our peace, on our security in you. And so wherever the enemy has lied to us, wherever the enemy has accused us, wherever the enemy has sowed in messages that are ungodly and not in keeping with your character, not in keeping with your promises, not in keeping with your kingdom. We categorically reject those right now in the name of Jesus. We just rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus and we say, you have to go. And we reject every lie. We reject every accusation. We say no to all of those things in the name of Jesus. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill and would you come and speak to us the hope that only you can give because you are stronger, Lord.